0: Hello friends and welcome to all those joining to worship with us, the community of Kirkpatrick Memorial Presbyterian Church. We're operating a blended approach to worship at the moment, so while you're worshipping online, a number of your brothers and sisters are joining together in our church in Valley Hackamore today. My name is Lisa Skinner and I'm blessed to be able to lead you in worship with a number of others today. So Johnny Young will be reading the Bible to us, Christoph will be unpacking the text, And then Andrew McNeice will lead us in our prayers for others. Now, if you've been joining with us over the last month or so, you'll know that we've been studying the life of Abram, as recorded in the book of Genesis. Today, we find Abram in an insecure world, having just rescued a number of his family members from marauding armies. God reveals himself to be Abram's shield, his very great reward. We too live in insecure times and it's easy to empathise with Abram who looks for more tangible reassurance about the future. The good news for us is that God's promise to be his shield and his reward was not just a promise for Abraham, but for those who would follow after him. David knew the same assurance for in Psalm 28 verses 7 to 8 he declared, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I will praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. We join together this morning to rejoice in the truth that we are heirs of the same promise given to Abraham and those who have gone before us. The Lord wants us to know the reassurance that he is our strength and our very great reward. Let us pray. God of promises fulfilled we come now as descendants of Abraham children of promise like Abraham we live in an insecure world which causes us to struggle with feelings of fear and anxiety we are sorry for the times we've doubted you the times we've tried to rely on our own strength and failed miserably we need only look up to the stars in the sky to remember your never-ending faithfulness to us your people we thank you that with your help, we can confront our fears and struggles because we call upon a power greater than our own to resist their pull. Remind us of these truths once again today. Strengthen our faith in you and renew our hope. Amen.
1: Genesis chapter 15, God's covenant with Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated four hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites.
2: Good morning. It's good to see you. We're really gathering momentum by now in this autumn series on the life of Abram. Uh, So far we've seen in the first half of Genesis 12 how Abram starts well Um, when God asked him to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and to go to a place where he'd show him, um, he does just that. He obeys. He seems at that moment capable of living by faith. In the second half of chapter 12, the the wheels fall off. Uh, We see Abram failing. He fails to trust God uh, to provide for him. He fails to trust God to protect for him. And we've seen very early in this Abram story that if Abram really is to be the father of the faithful, then we're going to have to say that he's the father of the failing faithful. His faith we've seen already, it wasn't effective because of the quality of his faith. It was effective only because of the quality of the one in whom he placed his failing faith. After chapter 12, chapters 13 and 14 have been somewhat more encouraging. Uh, In chapter 13, uh, we see Abraham beginning to commit himself to the land of promise. He's showing signs that he can trust God to provide for him there. Uh, And then last week in chapter 14, we saw signs that Abraham's ready to trust God for protection. Uh, Do you remember he showed great courage uh, when he set off to rescue his nephew Lot. So although he's failed, we have have this sense that Abram is growing. This father of the failing faithful showing signs of growth and I think that's an encouragement to us. Maybe even with all our failings that we could hope to be growing too. Today in chapter 15 we're going to see Abram coming uh, or sorry, God coming to Abraham in great grace. We're going to notice three things. First of all, God's timely comfort, God's gracious covenant, and then lastly, Abram's response. So firstly, that timely comfort. If you look there in the opening verse of the chapter, isn't it lovely that the word of the Lord came to Abram? Do you ever experience that? Do you ever... Know when God is talking to you. I hope you do. This is what God wants for us. He wants a a personal relationship with each one of us, a conversational one where He speaks to us and we in turn speak to Him. God's message to Abram would be comforting, I think, in any circumstances, but notice how very, very appropriate. This message is, after all that's happened to Abram with Lot and the battles, the Lord says to him, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I can protect you. And now that Abram's given up the best of the fertile Jordan Valley to his nephew, Lot, look what the Lord says. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your very great reward. I can provide for you. These things you feared, Abram, about protection and provision, don't worry about them anymore. I've got them. And I've got you. Isn't that just wonderful? So that's God's timely comfort. Let's notice God's gracious covenant. God makes a covenant here with Abram in the context of a couple more doubts. First of all, Abram doubts God's promise about a family. In verses 2 and 3, he reminds God that he has no children. All God's promises about being the father of a nation and the nation that's going to bless the world, they're not quite ringing true. Abram doesn't have any children. So in the absence of a son, he's making plans to pass on his estate to a member of his household. In verse 4, God reassures Abram of his original promises. He says, A son coming from your own body will be your heir. Look to the heavens, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. God made a promise to Abram that he was going to give him a family. And he's going to keep that promise. Abram's second doubt is around the land. In verse 7, God's reminded him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram doubts that promise. O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Abram's questioning both the promise of the people and the promise of a land. But please don't take his questioning as a sign of a lack of faith. Quite the opposite. Abram's asking God about these promises because he takes God seriously, because he really expects God to do something. He's growing as a man of faith and he's learning to hold God to his word. We can see that God is pleased by Abram's questioning, by his gracious response. He, he acts with great power and great drama. He gives Abram assurances he'll never forget. The remainder of chapter 15 is one of the very significant passages in the whole Bible because God makes a covenant here, or a promise, that's going to be the basis of all of his future dealings with his people. In verses 9 and 10, we're told about the covenant ceremony. God instructs Abram to bring a number of animals, uh, to cut them into two, and then he's to arrange the two halves opposite each other and create a corridor down the middle. It does sound strange, I, I grant you, but this was common practice in those times. Whenever two parties were making a contract or a covenant, they'd arrange animals like this, and then both parties would pass through the middle. In effect, they were saying, if I don't keep the promises I've made here today, may my fate be like that of these animals to my right and to my left. If I don't keep these promises, I'm dead, mate. Establishing a covenant like this would be very serious in any circumstances, but. Reading on in verse twelve, we get a, an even more heightened sense of the seriousness of what's going on. It's sunset, and Abram falls into a thick, or into a deep sleep. We're told that a thick and dreadful darkness came over him, and we're told in verse seventeen that there is smoke and fire appearing. This isn't the last time that darkness will fall as God establishes covenant with His people. There will be a similar darkness smoke and fire present a few hundred years later when god makes his next great covenant this time with the whole nation of israel and on mount sinai when god inaugurated his final great new covenant as jesus hung on the cross darkness falls on the land an earthquake shakes jerusalem Folks, the intensity of these encounters should never be lost on us. Whenever God, in all his power and his burning holiness, comes close to weak, sinful human beings, this is always a highly charged moment. It's a dangerous thing to meet with the living God. The Bible tells us that nobody can look on the face of God and live. Without his grace, any meeting like this, would result in instant death. This is no trivial thing. Abram's meeting with God in darkness, smoke and fire. In this meeting with Abram, God shows himself to be a God of grace. God has taken the initiative, he's committed himself to his people, and he says that he's going to be their God. Notice, by the way, that Abram doesn't walk through the corridor during the covenant ceremony. Only God does. We're told in verse 17 that a a smoking brazier uh, with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. That brazier and torch, they signify the presence of God. It's only God walking the corridor of commitment. God alone is saying, if I don't keep the promise I've made here today... May my fate be the same as these animals to my left and my right. Folks, history shows that God proved faithful to his side of the covenant. It's we who failed to be faithful. And it's we who therefore face the covenant penalty. But we're talking today about the grace of God. Guess what he does? In his grace. He pays the price of our covenant breaking. He gives his own son, Jesus, to be torn to pieces in our place. What a gracious covenant. And what a faithful God. We've thought about God's timely comfort and we thought about his gracious covenant. Let's think in closing about Abram's response. Look at verse 6. Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is a key verse in the whole of the Bible. Paul quotes it twice. James quotes it once. As soon as God has reassured him of his promises, Abram, we're told, believed God and God was pleased with that response. It seems that there's something crucially important about believing God. Of course, we wouldn't have to come all the way back here to Genesis 15 to discover that. Uh, we'd only need to go to the most famous Bible verse of all, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's a verse about believing. What does it mean? Specifically, what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? It's an important question. Jesus makes believing in him a matter of life and death. It it makes all the difference in the world between perishing on the one hand and having eternal life on the other. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Let me tell you what I think we've made it to mean. Uh, Generally, in Ulster evangelicalism, we have said that to believe in Jesus is to believe that he died on the cross in our place so that we can be forgiven by God. This is what makes a person right with God. A person who believes this is assured that they're forgiven by God and that God will welcome them into heaven. For most people, This sums up the gospel. This is what it means to believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus has everything to do with being saved from death. But not much to do with how we live our lives here and now. That may be what we've heard and even taught in Ulster Evangelicalism. But it's not what the Bible teaches. It's a tragic reduction of the gospel. So let's come back today to the the Bible. And let, let's let let God's word define for us what it means to believe in God or in Jesus. Back to our passage. What was it Abram believed? Well, the early verses of Genesis 15 make it very clear that Abram believed God, that he was going to give him a male baby, an heir, and through that baby, a nation of descendants who had possessed the land that God had promised him. Abram believed God. He wasn't primarily trusting God for forgiveness of sins or a welcome into heaven. He was trusting God for how he lived his life here and now. He was trusting God with his family and his wealth, with his hopes and his dreams. Abram, I think, was a whole life disciple thousands of years before the term was ever invented. What's God's response Abram's faith. God, we're told, declared him righteous. In effect, God says, this is the life that pleases me. When God declares him righteous, he's saying that Abram's sins and his failures won't cut him off from God, not in the present nor in the future. Folks, I want to keep pushing this question about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ, because I want to invite you to see a vital distinction, one that could change your life with God entirely. I want you to distinguish between trusting Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, with the whole of your real life, here and now, and merely trusting in Jesus or a sin removal transaction on the other. Do you see the difference? Millions of people who claim to believe in Jesus are trusting him only in this role of sin remover. It's a phenomenon that's trust, uh, that's prompted Dallas Willard to talk in a rather shocking way. It talks about vampire Christians, those who are interested in Jesus only for his blood and his forgiveness when it comes to the living jesus uh, the person of jesus they're not interested Uh, there are people who call themselves christians who don't even appear to like jesus very much folks we have a lot of nominal christianity here in ulster people who are christians in name only Uh, they say that they believe in jesus but it makes absolutely no difference to how they live their lives If you think about it, in the light of what we've just said, that's hardly surprising. They've been led to believe that God, for some strange reason, decides to forgive our sins and to declare us righteous because he's somehow inspected our minds and he's discovered that we believe in Jesus and that he died on the cross. Apparently, it doesn't matter that we don't trust Jesus for any other part of our lives. We're entirely at liberty to go on trusting in ourselves for our day-to-day existence. Believing in Jesus has nothing to do with the here and now. That's what people are being taught. So we shouldn't be surprised when they live that way. Friends, God hasn't changed. He's still the God of Abraham. He still credits with righteousness those who believe in his promises those who take him at his word for us God calls us to believe in Jesus he calls us to accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord to accept him as our Savior who will forgive us our sins who will win a place for us in heaven but also as our Lord trusting him with the here and now With every part of our lives. It's when we do that that God credits us with righteousness. And of course, Jesus makes that clearer too. What does it mean to be credited with righteousness? It means he takes the perfection of Jesus and lays it on us. It means when he looks at us, he sees his beautiful son. Abram believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. We can believe God too. We can accept Jesus Christ and have his righteousness given to us. Have you believed? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior? Is he your Lord? The one who you look to every day, every moment of every day? Are you standing today before God in the righteousness given you by Jesus? You can. You could, right now. Just now, Andrew McNeese, a member of our congregation, is going to come and lead us in our prayers for others. Hello, everyone. It's a privilege to lead our
3: prayers of intercession today. I thought we could focus on our Carpatra community, our wider community, our front lines, our political and medical leaders, and Christoph and his family. Let us pray. Lord, hear our prayer. Fear and uncertainty have gripped our community. We are entering a further period of social restriction. Our community and way of life has been shaken. Is there an end in sight? The goalposts feel like they're continually being moved. However despite these trials I am encouraged this morning and my encouragement comes from you Lord and you alone. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord, with him at my right hand I will not be shaken. Let us keep our hearts and minds fixed on you for strength, peace and encouragement. Help us encourage each other on this journey that is new to us all. May we use this time to help us to grow and strengthen our faith. We are told to joyfully accept trials of many kinds as trials develop perseverance and perseverance will mature and complete us so we lack in nothing. We think of parents in our community juggling childcare and work. We think of people who are anxious about their job security or what the future might hold. We think of people who are isolated and feel alone. We think of all the key workers who continue to face this challenge head on. May your peace guard them. Lord I pray for the people we meet on our front lines. Let us not hide our light under a bushel. I pray that your love and peace are evident to our colleagues, our clients, our patients and everyone else we come across in our daily lives. Lord, we pray for our country's leadership and the challenging decisions they face. We pray that the common cause of fighting the pandemic will bring Northern Ireland parties and our communities closer together rather than creating further division. Finally, we want to pray for Christoph and his family. We thank you for Christoph, for his teaching, his love, and his obvious passion for spreading the gospel. We pray for him and Claire as they make important decisions about their future and that they continue to get the strength and encouragement that is required to perform the great work that they do. In your name we
2: ask it, Amen. Thank you to Lisa, Johnny and Andrew uh, for sharing with me in this service today. It's been really brilliant to be able to invite different elders districts along to our face-to-face church gatherings over the last few weeks. If you haven't been invited yet, uh, please be patient. There's a rota in the weekly email which gives you an idea of when you should anticipate being invited. So get a look at that and then you can begin to make plans to sign up and to come and be with us in the church building. Uh, We had hoped to increase our capacity so that we could invite more groups to come along. But after the announcement this week of further restrictions, um, we feel we just need to be careful about that. As soon as we feel able to invite more people, uh, we'll review the Roja and accelerate our invitations. Thank you for your understanding. Uh, Have a look out in this week's email for an invitation to give to the United Appeal. Uh, There's a great wee video at the end of this week's playlist to give you an idea of what the United Appeal is all about. As I said last week, uh, we've launched online giving for these sorts of one-off appeals, things that are over and above your regular giving. There are instructions about how that works in the weekly email. Our Treasurer told me on Thursday uh, that after the appeal being open for five days, five people had made a donation. That's great, isn't it? It shows that it works, uh, but it's not really that great either. Uh, Five givers out of a community the size of Kirkpatrick Memorial, I'm sure we can do better than that. So have a look at that announcement and see uh, whether you might be able to give to the United Appeal. Leslie McCorry has given us an update and told us that it's time to drop off our shoe boxes. Uh, So Leslie will be at church next Sunday, the 25th of October, from 3 until 5pm, waiting for you to drop off your boxes. We're closing today with a song that's probably uh, becoming an unofficial theme tune uh, for this series. It's the song By Faith.
0: As we draw our service of worship to a close now, I pray that the words of our last hymn would be an anthem for you as you go into the week ahead, as you too inhabit an insecure world. May you stand firmly on the promises of God. Fix your eyes on Him, your very great reward. Walk by faith and not by sight. And in closing, I just want to borrow the words of Paul from Romans 15 verse 13.